Welcome everyone to Wisdom and Wonder, where we explore ideas with curiosity and open mind. My name is Ann Jan, and I am your host. And on today's episode, we have with us Dr. Philip. D- oh, wow, I might have to Philippe Duvail, uh, who's an associate professor of biblical and systematic theology at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. He's also the author of uh, this book, Gender as Love, a theological account of human identity, embodied desires, and our social worlds. Um, he's also the recipient of a award, a Redeemer's Emerging Public Intellectual Award that you received last night. Last correct? night, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, was congratulations. Wonderful. Thank you. It was a big honor. Okay, well, I'm so glad you could join us today. Um, so if you could just maybe there's a, give us a little preamble of like what prompted you maybe to, mm. this is like not in my questions, but maybe a little, mm-hmm. why did you decide to talk about gender? Like what was the... Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and it's, it's definitely not because it was easy. Um, I, it, it's not a particularly inspiring story. I, <laughs> I was an undergrad in college. I and I was trying to graduate in a certain amount of time. So I was looking for classes that enabled me to get a lot of my requirements out of the way quickly. And one of the classes that was on offer was a philosophy of gender class. I had no idea what it was about, but it knocked out three of my requirements. And I thought, yeah, man, this could be anything. I could take a, you know, basket weaving class. And if it knocked out three requirements, I'll do it. But I took the class not knowing anything about the subject matter. And then when I got in, I was introduced to these fascinating conversation partners and questions that were being explored. And I was really gripped and I was really interested. And then I asked my professor, I asked her, hey, like, what are the Christians saying about this topic? And she basically said, well, not much. Either they don't say anything at all, or they just pick whatever theory is available. And then they put a nice little Christian cover on it and then move on. So I thought, well, that's a problem. I don't want that to be the case. So I wrote my sort of like major paper for my college degree on this topic. I went to seminary and did my master's thesis on this topic. And then I went to do my dissertation on this topic. So the interest kept being generated. And part of that was meeting people who really wanted to have some help and guidance and theological insight on this really, really difficult question and who have been really hurt by how this question has been handled. So yeah, that's that's been a big motivation for me is keep continuing to meet people in churches and in my communities who think like, I really want to think about gender well, but I have no idea where to start. So okay. that's, that's, that's been a, a sort of underground driving motivation for me. Okay, nice. I, I don't think that it doesn't sound uninspiring to mm. me. I mean, I trying think... <laughs> to get a degree done quickly. Might <laughs> you know what? I do think that I mean, I love that you started trying to get your degree done quickly and then yeah. did your PhD. I mean, maybe that's the real irony. <laughs> yeah, here. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a really good point. <laughs> You're like, wow. Um, I guess my follow up question about this, as you were saying, like people don't know where to start. Like, why Mm -hmm. do you think Christians should read this book? Like Mm -hmm. what about this is, yeah, like if you could speak to that. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I, I really hope that it is helpful in, in a, in a couple of different ways. That's like my, my biggest prayer and hope for the book is that it's, it's beneficial and helpful for people who read it, even if they don't end up agreeing with everything, like that's fine. I, 
I think that one thing it does is it sets up the conversation in a particular way. It sums up a lot of how people have approached gender. I talk about these two bifurcations in the yeah. beginning of yes. the book, right? Like yeah. there's some people who want to say that gender is a biological essence or some people want to say it's a social construct and these there's been like an ongoing debate about this for decades, you know. And it's helpful to see how that debate has unfolded. And it's also helpful to have some pretty good reasons for why we shouldn't accept the debate on the terms that it has been offered to us. Okay. So I don't, I, I don't think, at least, at least I think we have good Christian theological reasons to not keep those aspects of our lives and identities that are natural and those aspects of our lives and identities that are social, that a, a good Christian theological anthropology holds those things together. And... So part of the benefit of the book, I hope, is to get caught up on these debates so that we can say, well, no, how can we speak with an authentically theological voice to these issues? Um, and I think we do have some really nice resources within our tradition to do so. And, you know, if people agree, it will depend on, you know, if they agree with the book at the end of the day. But that's that's the idea. So, I mean, I'm, a, I'm also an English major, major, so I think there's an element of, like, the both and in this yeah. book that I have yeah. noticed a lot. It was like, I felt like that you went through that for also um, th the theological, mm -hmm. there's, like, kind of the theological side, and then s sort of, like, the social side, where you were kind of saying, like, people either go the sense of... I guess like I was noticing this um, in terms of you kind of had a bifurcation of the two things of gender and then uh, of um, not gender of essence yeah. like biological essence right, and then right. social construction and then the second one was kind of like how theologians have yeah. and Christians have reacted is also like a bifurcation that's right, there that's right. and so I noticed there was a lot of like you trying to be like you know what there's some good points in yeah. both of these and yeah. these are the things that I think are valuable yeah. and let's like try and make something because yes. I feel like till you get to the model in mm -hmm. the book you kind of are like there's mm -hmm. a lot of talking about different pieces yeah and then yeah. at the end it's like how can we bring these together is that yeah. kind of the that's absolutely the right okay. yeah yeah no that's right I tell my students that if somebody's trying to talk about an issue that's morally complicated and they only give you two options for what to think about that complicated issue. They're probably trying to take your money. You know, like you should probably reach for your wallet and make sure it's still in your pocket because that's there's no issue that's morally complex that admits of only two options. And like that might sell books really well, but it's not true to reality or to and it's also not how I don't think it's a particularly virtuous way of doing theological work like appreciating the complexity and and difficulty of a particular issue is has got to be something that we just are willing to take on you know that if you're if you're thinking about something that's remarkably complex you should expect for your methods and your sources to be complex too you should like be willing to put in the right amount of work for the right amount of difficulty for, of the subject matter and I mean, gender, I think, is tremendously difficult today to think through. And we've been having this ongoing conversation about it for a while. So I, I think, yeah, to sort of divide up and separate out only two big options and then say, well, I'm going to be on this team and this mm. other person's going to be against these other people on this other team. That's I think that's just a fairly superficial way to go about it. And I think... 
Yeah, I think it, it doesn't. It's it's hard to love your neighbor and to love your enemy by approaching things in that way. And so if Jesus Jesus doesn't really give us an option to love our enemies, he's like, love your enemy, love your neighbor, and then you're like, well, who's my neighbor? And he's like, well, nope, don't you don't get to ask that question, you know? Yeah. So I think if we're really committed to that, to living our lives and doing our work as a robust expression of neighbor love, then I, I don't think we can have these sorts of like either or like you're either on that side or on this mm -hmm. side you know i think we have to see things a bit more complexly yeah yeah and i think that's yeah that's very it's very i think that element alone is very timely because we were even talking earlier about that sort of like in in culture right now there is such a just that sort of like this or that there's just like yeah. there's no yeah you know taking you or you yeah, yeah 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 um i guess back to, back to something in the book that i thought was really uh i think being mostly in um in university i would say the most popular idea about gender is mm. the social construction right i think there's yep. few people that i have yep. run into that are like yeah. it's a biological essence yeah. alone that are also yeah. teaching at a university yeah. level yeah we were talking about stephen pinker earlier yeah, yeah that, is, that, i he guess that is the, 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 the one notable role. exception yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah i guess could you explain maybe what your your hesitation with totally because you say that mm. you're you're not but you do take some of the ideas yes, of the social yes, yes. so you wouldn't describe yourself as a social construction theorist but you would take mm -hmm. some of their ideas mm -hmm. that you think are valuable yeah yeah i mean i think the social construction view of gender i think it's really old a lot of people have they think that it, it, an objection to it is that oh, it showed up in the early 20th century. I don't think so. I think it actually showed up in around the 17th century. It's it's a mm. fairly old view, uh, and it originated from this observation that universal properties are not the same as natural properties, which is a nerdy way of saying like. Um, well, let me give an example. So it's universally true that all human babies are born on the surface of the earth, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if my, if my, you know, I just have, I have a 10-month-old son. If my wife, 10 months ago, got on a rocket ship and gave birth on the moon, my, my son would still be human, right? So the, this universal attribute of being born on the surface of the earth isn't a natural attribute. But the reason why that's relevant for gender is that for a long time, people operated with the assumption that as long as we can show that something is universally true about men or about women, then we can infer from that that it's naturally true, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, so, it, and you see this really clearly, for instance, in debates about suffrage in the 1860s, for instance, uh, in the United States. In the United States, women didn't get the right to vote until 1920. So there were all these debates up until that point um, about whether or not women should be able to vote. And one of the Christian arguments against women voting was, well, I don't, you know, it's universally true that women don't vote. And in the uh, 1860s, that would have been true, you know? Like, so if it's universally true that women do not vote, it must be unnatural for women to vote. And the social construction view basically came in into these debates saying, well, no, like some universal attributes might also be the product of social forces. You know, yeah. it, it may be the case that we, you know, there were a lot of early writing in social construction theory and stuff was about how, you know, people would point out, well, I don't have, we don't see any women poets and novelists and mathematicians and, and then, which is like hardly true, but these, the, the respondents would say, even if that were true, we can't assume that 
um, that, that that's natural to women. We have because it may have been the case that uh, social forces are to blame for these limitations, right? And that's why they focus so much on things like equal opportunities for education and so on. So that's where the view began, and. It sort of developed primarily, I mean, in the 20th century is when it really got going. And I think it has a lot of sort of intuitive purchase for people, right? When we think about gender, we tend to think about the sort of social goods and cues that we, you know, encounter on a regular basis. You know, the, the example I give in the book is the, my, the, my, my firstborn kid, right? We, we didn't tell anybody the sex of my daughter, right? She we, we just kept something to me about my wife and I. And so folks had a really hard time buying gifts for her, okay. you know, and like baby showers and things like that, right? And even when we would go and like scan things at the store for at the for the baby registry, they would be like, you know, boys white socks and girls white socks. And they look exactly the same, except one was more expensive. So we would, you know, scan the boys white socks, you know, for the little six month old. And they'd be like, oh, you're having a boy. And I'm like, no, we just wanted cheaper white socks, you know? Um, yeah. So it's all of these different so the social construction view tends to try to capture up these intuitions about how gender is so bound up with our social lives. And I think that's right to a point. One of the commitments that I try to sort of zero in on in the book that social constructionists tend to sort of share in common is that social constructs are context specific. So think of other social constructs like money. Money is a social construct. If you, if I tried to use an American dollar here in Toronto, I would not be able to, you know, uh, there would be some sort of contextual finagling that I'd have to do, right? right? right. Uh, because social constructs are bound by place and time. And if that's the case, then gender constructs would be bound by place and time too. So a man in 2024 in Hamilton, Ontario, is not the same kind of thing as a man in 1924 in, you know, I don't know. Pick, pick any part of the world, right? Okay. So, and I think that has some interesting sorts of ramifications. It would mean that there is no such thing as being men as such. You know, the, the complexities and diversities of time and place would separate out gender, right? So we'd always have to be, gender kinds would have to be really specific to time and place. And then that makes moral evaluation really difficult. I talk about a case in, on Pitcairn Island mm. in the book about how this remote island in the middle of the ocean had a, a like decades, maybe even hundreds of years long pattern of culturally embedded sexual assault on their island. And then they, they were governed by a blend of New Zealand courts and British courts. And so when they went to investigate what was going on in that island, they didn't have the legal measures to sort of morally evaluate what was going on. They, 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 they basically, the, the trial unfolded such that the law was applied only with respect to the fact that these were Pitcairn men. Right. So and, and so they were given a lot more lenient sentences. They were, you know, they, they basically used contextual specificity to cover over and to not take as seriously a pretty horrible crime. And so I, I, I use that as a case study to show that if we really do want to say that gender is context specific, our moral normativity is going to suffer pretty severely. Mm. Um, 
and th there are some ways to get around that that people have offered, you know, but I, I tried to show in the book that at the end of the day, they're not really all that persuasive and don't get us very far at the end of the day. So yeah. that's why I, I want to say yes to the social construction theory. Like, yeah, it's, gender is about our social worlds, our social goods, but I don't want to go as far as to say that there is no sort of like cross-cultural, cross-temporal continuity or that I have to like say that because it's social, it's not about the body or something like that. And how would you sort of um, connect sex and gender? Because I mm. feel like in the book you talk about this, um, but I'm just curious like how you would. Yeah, that's the $10 million question, isn't it? That's, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, that's ground zero for what a good theology of gender ought to do is to show how you know, these biological or I prefer to use the word natural because I think that's a bigger category. Um, these natural elements of who we are connect up with these social elements of who we are. Is there a bridge that's, that can be built between these two things? And I think there is. Uh, and I think I, I kind of make the job harder for us because I want to say that that bridge has to be a theological bridge. That if we want to have a theological account of gender, we have to articulate the connection between bodies and social worlds in a recognizably theological way, which is why I lean on love. Uh, a particular Augustinian theological development of love. For Augustine, love is both natural and social, which is what the initial cue that I got for why I should, oh, that's really interesting. That might be what mm. I need here. Um, he thinks that all human beings are created with the capacity to love so that the, the person who lives one second and the person who lives a hundred years, they're equally by nature made to love. And that this capacity to love is how we engage our social worlds. So he has this, this statement in City of God and in a couple of other places where he says there's no other creature that is more social by its nature than human beings, which is a claim that sort of brings together these bifurcations that have been kept apart so, so separately in like one sentence, you know, that we are naturally social is not something that you often hear when it comes to gender. Um, and so the way that we are naturally social for Augustine is through our capacity to love. Now, what's crucial about his theology of love is that it begins and ends with God. So God is love and God is in love is also what characterizes the person of the Holy Spirit who has been poured forth into our hearts by love. When God created the world, God was motivated by love. And for human beings, what brings us to our true purpose is our loves. So he's got this, you know, this lovely image of love as a kind of force that pulls us to where we're supposed to go, which is our home in God, right? So, and, and for him, that has to do with faith, hope, and love, and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, okay, that's a really, really robustly theological uh, view of love that's both social and uh, has an anchor in our natural equipment and it gives us a lot of, it, it, it helps us think normatively as well, because not all love is rightly ordered for Augustine. He has all these things about how love has to be 
properly ordered, it has to be received in the right kinds of ways. And so I think that bridge between our sexed bodies and our social worlds and identities, that, that bridge is built by a good theology of human love. So that, that's that's the bridge for me. Okay. And so, like, just to follow up on that, um, so is it that, I, like, I'm just going to do this from the, the female perspective because that's... No, that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I'm trying to cross this bridge. Yeah. Is it, like, would I, the bill, the bridge that I construct, how, how would that be different than a man's because I'm female? Or would it be, mm. like, are we collecting the same, like, I love soccer, someone else loves soccer, we're yeah. both, like, yeah. you know, maybe the identities are very similar, so, like... To me, then it's like, is that wouldn't that just be more like a sort of an individualism? Like, what's that like? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, what if we were a man and a woman like love the same things? Right. Oh, that's that's such a good question. Um, yeah. So I define gender in the book. This is like something okay, I, I yeah, had to I actually, do. Yeah, that's one of our, yeah, next, our yeah, next question about yeah. like how to define it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay. Uh, I thought to myself like, if I'm if, if I'm going to like make it persuasive for people to read a book about gender i should probably define the thing you know because at yeah. least they'll get some bang for their buck for, <laughs> for buying the book um and so i define gender as the organization of social goods in order to manifest an identity right or right roughly yeah and how we organize social goods is we organize social goods around certain aspects of our identity and in the case of gender it's organizing social goods around the possession or in virtue of the fact that we possess sexed bodies or at least we possess perceived sex bodies we can talk about that difference if you want but we organize these social goods around the possession of sex bodies and in doing so we manifest a social identity and we do that by our loves so think about it this is here's a really okay. sort of like concrete example i'm a professor right and so if you were to ask me what does it mean to be a professor I would probably make recourse to all kinds of different social goods in my life. I'll talk about the books I read, the classes I teach, the students I have and have had, the salary that I, right? These are all these different social goods that I orchestrate in my life and appropriate to myself that builds up my identity as a professor. And that has roots in my embodiment. Like, I have to have a body to be a professor, right? Like it's, yeah. Um, and then there's also good and bad ways for me to organize those goods. You know, as, as I'm sure you know, there are good and bad professors, right? right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so the quality of my organization matters. And gender is the same kind of thing. It's this thing that I organize these various different social goods in my life in order to sort of build up this identity. Now, the question you asked is, well, does it matter which ident which social goods are organized? And it does, but it does it, it matters in different ways. So, um, and it's always changing. That's the other trouble. It's always changing because it will depend radically on time and place. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that gender is different in time because the, the gender is the same. It's still the organization of social mm, goods right. around the sex body. But the social goods that you have available to you are totally different, whether you live in Toronto, Saudi Arabia, Chicago, right. or Dallas. You know, it's, right. it's totally different. And so what we have to do as Christians is ask the question, is this how things should be? You know, so if you ask the question about um, the example of soccer, right? So, or even like, the, we can even think of more clear-cut ones. 
um, because like American audiences don't have a clue what soccer is, you know, and that's a, <laughs> which breaks my heart because I'm a I'm, you know, I'm Brazilian. I have okay, I'm a huge yeah. soccer fan. The rest of the world is just like yeah, yeah, like like 98 of the world, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> we could talk, we could spend the rest of the podcast talking about that too. Um, but you know, there are all kinds of other examples. Clothing is the one that I've been talking about here quite okay. a bit. Um, last night when I when I did the the lecture, I talked about how there are all kinds of ways that we can say some clothing is for some people and some clothing is for other people. For instance from the first part of the 20th century, little babies until they were about seven, all wore dresses, like, you know, white frilly lacy dresses um and the re and then when they weren't gender coded boy little boys wore these dresses and right. little girls wore these dresses and like you could probably go to like people's grandparents houses and see their grandparents in these dresses and the reason for that was that there was this perception that gendering little babies was also a way of sexualizing them and that was weird and you know you could see why right and so for a long time that's what people did it, what a lot of things changed that because obviously we don't do that anymore but one of the things that changed was this notion it came from child psychology it came from popular literature it came from a lot of other places that basically said no like what we need to do when we um when we raise little children is we need to prepare them to be good men and women so little boys need to be trained up to be good men and little girls need to be trained up to be good women mm. and the way you did that is you dressed them the right kinds of ways you dressed them in like huck like huck finn or tom yeah. sawyer was a really popular you know sort of like dress them like he's ready for adventure or something yeah. like that and that's why little boys started wearing pants for instance um and so the question then becomes, was that the right thing to do? Is that because we bring to the table all of these normative considerations about when we decide what ends up being gendered or not. Little kids clothing became gendered right. for these reasons. But are these good reasons? Should Christians be affirming these reasons? Do we have good theological reasons to get on board with saying we need to prepare little boys to be men and like there are there are these crazy examples of like these dads giving little three-year-old boys ice baths oh, wow. and like doing all these like they got to train them up to be hard and strong and this is like 1915 you know and like we have to like the it's interesting to ask the question should this be gendered should sports be gendered should kids clothing be gendered the more interesting question is what are the reasons we have for giving a positive or a negative answer to that question, right? Mm. So if we're going to say, no, like we shouldn't be gendering kids' clothing so much, then we better have really good theological reasons for why we say no, you know? Or if we want to say something like, well, the way we talked about voting, right? Voting was a gendered good for a long right. time. Only men could vote. And it took some really brave people, uh, a lot of brave women in particular, saying, no, like this is that this is a good in our world that should not be gendered. We should reject the gender indexing of voting practices. So why? Right. Let's have some really good reasons for why that's the case. And 
there were these debates, right? And thankfully, one side won out, and I, I think it's the right side. Um, I think most people <laughs> I would, would agree have, with you. Yeah, yes. yeah, I think most, <laughs> it's a fairly safe example. Although people keep telling me that some people differ, which is just bananas to me. But um, actually, no. Surprisingly, I have I did have a conversation one time with someone who differed, and they was just like, "Oh, wow." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you kids, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> people just want to be alarmists sometimes, though, don't they? Yeah. But th this what, what you bring up is the crucial task that I think ought to make up the everyday existence of Christians, which is, what is the quality of the gendered goods that I encounter in my world? And some of them are going to be fine. Like, wearing this kind of jacket, and we have video, right? So wearing yeah. this kind of jacket or this sweater. I'm hopefully not doing harm to somebody, but if I am, then like that's that will place upon me certain Christian requirements to be more sensitive in the ways that I love my neighbor through my gendered uh, my organization of gendered goods. Um, so it, it, it would be impossible to sort of give like a definitive list of all of right. the things that would go into being men and women. Cause it's always going to be different. But so yeah. I guess like as this is like, I am so sorry, I'm going off the script. But no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, the, there's something that you were saying, and I was thinking to myself, so let's say I'm a Christian and mm -hmm. these are the gendered goods that are veiled to me as a, mm -hmm. as a female, but I don't like them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do them. Yeah. Is there an element of like, I'm going to say like I um, reject the notion that I should wear a dress when I get yeah. married or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm not, yeah. not going to do that. Yeah. Um, I guess in my mind, would you be like, is that kind like is that too like at what point obviously there's social kind of pressures mm -hmm. is that going to be yeah. damaging to social or is it just like how do you go about doing that though yeah that that's a really excellent i mean this is why i lean on augustine here because i think he has some really valuable moral insight he he enters this debate it's the it's this very old okay. I mean, philosophy major you told me right it's, <laughs> it's this old debate between the the scholastics and the the peripatetics right okay. between is something good or bad intrinsically or is mm. it good and bad right. in the ways that we use it yes. right and for augustine <laughs> most of things in our lives are good and bad through our uses of them. So I'm, I'm drinking a Tim right. Hortons coffee right now. Other coffees are available. No, no, you know. <laughs> but um, is coffee good or bad? It, well, it's impossible to really answer that question apart from the contextual considerations of how I use it. So if I if if I said to you, yeah, this is my only cup of coffee I'm going to have today. It's I enjoy it. It gets me out of bed in the morning. It's nice, but you know I don't depend on it. You'd say, yeah, it's fine. But if I said to you, this is going to be one of sixteen cups of coffee that I have today. I cannot survive without coffee. And at this point, if you cut me open, I will bleed coffee. Uh, you would say you have an unhealthy dependence on coffee, right? Okay. Um, right. And so the goodness, uh, the rightness and wrongness of something very often depends on the quality of our use, right? And the purposes to which we put the things that we use in our lives. And so that applies to with gendered goods. So the, the wedding dress, you don't want to wear a wedding dress. The, the rightness or wrongness of that isn't necessarily going to be in whether or not there are these intrinsic principles to the wearing of a dress that are bound up with gender. But I, the first thing I'd want to know is like, why? 
What, mm. How are you intending to use wedding dress or the, 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 the things you wear during a wedding? Um, and what are you trying to communicate through that? What are what kinds of internal senses of belonging are you trying to convey? Um, you know, and there are, there are going to be good reasons for doing mm. that and there are going to be bad reasons right. for doing that. And those reasons will often depend on you know, are you loving your neighbor well by doing this? Are you loving God well by doing this? Are you loving your enemy well by doing this? Are you loving yourself well by doing this? Um, and so the quality of our loves very often depends on, well, the, the quality of our loves shape the quality of the use, right? So for Augustine, use mm. was, a, was a way of loving something. So then the things themselves might be, I don't know, this is heresy right now, is neutral? Can I say neutral there's in reform definitely school? Not a, there's definitely not an <laughs> ecumenical council on anything we've been talking okay. about so far. So. No, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but I just feel like, you know, how many times have we like, well, we we had a Kuiper conference, you know, mm -hmm. nothing is neutral. So I was like, I don't know. Is this like, so like, how uh -huh. do we, but no, but when it, what you're saying, it seems like you're saying that the uses of like a wedding dress is is gonna be the main moral kind of yeah. paradigm that we're working in, not like intrinsically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's not that things like the use of something is never neutral. It's always being directed at some end, some okay, purpose. That, yeah, yeah. Right. But the wedding dress itself isn't going to be now, there are some things okay. that are intrinsically good or bad, right? The example I would always give in class is an atomic bomb. I would say mm. that there are no good uses for an atomic bomb. And then a student of mine said, well, what about in Independence Day when they fire an atomic bomb at a meteor coming to the Earth? And I was like, ah, oh, that's actually might be a good point that they that's about might be a good use of an atomic bomb. But, you know, there, there yeah. are some things that are intrinsically wrong or intrinsically good. God is intrinsically good, for instance. Right. But for the most part, like 98 percent of the things that we encounter mm in our day-to-day -day lives are going to be um, dependent or their quality will be dependent on our use of them. So right. are they neutral? I don't know if I'd say they're neutral, but yeah. our uses of them definitely aren't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, base, the, other, the other thing, another quote that you write about that I, I underlined and I thought that was really interesting was it says, Christians have unique reasons to deny that we have an unproblematic or complete access to mm, gender's mm -hmm. definition or that we experience gender in a way that it's ought to be experienced. Yeah. So can you unpack that statement? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it. I should probably be able to unpack it. Uh, Your book's here if you need to yeah. reference. <laughs> what did I say? It's amazing how quickly I forget the things I write down, if I'm honest with you. I have to regularly revisit it because I'm like, well, did I really say and then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a that's a cool thing I said there. Or like, what was I thinking when I said that? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I I want one of the things that I'm trying to sort of emphasize, and it and it comes. It was an insight from a lot of the really early social constructionist theorists, but it's also a deeply Christian insight, which is that we are a mystery to ourselves. Hmm. You know, then the Psalms say this. For Samuel, I think, is the text that I'm thinking. Anyway, I shouldn't try to quote texts from memory. It's a bad idea this early in the morning. Uh, but there's a lot of scriptural witness that testifies that we are mysteries to ourselves. And then also say that although we are a mystery to ourselves, God knows us perfectly. That God knows exactly who we are. And even though we might experience ourselves as this deep well of confusion, difficulty, and pain... God holds us. God knows who we are. And I think that's a really valuable insight for thinking about gender. 
the, the, the time that we are going to know ourselves fully is at the resurrection, right? Right. That's Colossians three one. I do know that passage, right? It's a uh, right because Christ Colossians three one talks about how Christ is our life, and only when He is revealed will our lives be revealed. We don't really know our lives and who we are until Christ is revealed, until we are resurrected, and so this there's an important sense in which we shouldn't think of any aspect of ourselves as done and settled. Mm. We are we are still being conformed to the image of Christ, including our genders, you know. Mm. Uh, so it's this sort of insistence that we should see gender within this great big story of what God is doing in our lives. And this insistence of saying that like gender is, a, is, um, is locked down, we've already figured out what it is, and that's actually not a terribly Christian way to think about it, you know, because we are still, um, we are still under development. Every aspect of our lives is still being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And the way I work that out in the model that I give in the book is that we are still learning how to love our gendered world well. We, we, we don't. Like we, I, I talk about how we need to have ordered loves and all this stuff and how we need to see all the gendered goods in our world as a, either, either a gift from God or something to be rejected. But goodness me, we're all terrible at that. You know, like right. gender is a horrible thing in this world for so many people, you know. And so... Christ is still reconfiguring and recalibrating our loves so that we can we can attach the social goods that we encounter to to ourselves in a, an appropriate kind of way. And that's a really hard thing to do. We're not going to do that perfectly until we're resurrected. That means that we don't really know how to live gendered lives as God intended until we are resurrected. Mm. Right now, we are grasping and stumbling and fumbling towards it. You know, it's it's confusing. It's difficult. But that's exactly what we should expect from this life until Christ returns. It's It's a life of difficulty, pain, and confusion because of sin. You know, and that's that's sort of like a fundamental rock bottom Christian conviction. So I, I get kind of puzzled sometimes when Christians want <clears throat> simple, like uncomplicated. Uh, I want to be careful with what, what adjectives I use here. But right, simple and uncomplicated answers to gender as though sin weren't part of the fabric of this world right now, you know, as, right. as though redemption were already complete. That's not the case. Nothing is like that right now, you know. And so that emphasis that I'm trying to say that here, like we need to have the a sort of eschatological, eschatology is mm. what Christian theologian nerds talk about with the end times, right. yep. resurrection and so on, the new heaven, new earth. We have to be patient in this life and endure this life and have a sort of eschesis in this life so that we don't look at any part of this world and say, ah, we've made it. We're home. Mm. We're not home yet. Like, yeah. this is our home. Like, God is God is not creating a different earth. Yeah. Right? But the redemption of this world is still to come. The kingdom of the Lord is still not the kingdom yeah. of this world. And so we need to have this sort of eschatological patience that says gender is hard and will remain hard until Jesus returns. That's precisely, that's, that's just what life is, you know? Yeah. And so fast and simple answers are just not going to be an option. And uh, why do you think people are so, it does feel like people really want a binary here. <laughs> like people do. Yeah. Like I, like I was, yeah. I, I mentioned earlier, like you, there is such a like desire for that. Um, 
Why do you think that is? Like, do is it just like we want simple answers, or we yeah. want a way to, like, as a way to understand ourselves? Like, what do you think the desire is there? Yeah, and, and by binary, you mean like, the social constructionist and essentialist binary, or do you mean the male female? I binary? mean the male female binary. Yeah. Like, if you okay, like, let's just say I decided I have two boys and a girl. Let's say mm-hmm. I decided to dress my one of my boys in girls' clothing. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be very. I mean, maybe not now, sort of in a general social moment. Mm-hmm. People probably would be like, whatever, you do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in a Christian moment, mm. like in a Christian setting, that would be considered, there would be, I don't know, I don't know if I would say that there would be like moral, but maybe people would be like, that's wrong. Yeah. You're, you're teaching your child. Because I mean, like I am a person who has children and I need to teach them something about gender. So then I'm yeah. like, well, then how does yeah. one do that? Yeah. Right. Like, and that's a very hot topic. I'm sorry. No, that's it's just OK. I, I, it's an occupational hazard. <laughs> it's a, I, I do defend in the book the view that sex is a binary. That, OK. That there are, and then I talk about intersex yeah. and things like that. We yeah. can, and that's a very complicated issue. It's towards the end of the book and people want to know it's chapter six. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, sex is a binary. But then yeah. the question then becomes, well, how does that flesh out gender? Yeah. And it's a lot harder. Like I tried to, I, I hit it in a footnote because I didn't want it to blow anything up. But this whole debate between gender, not sex, gender yeah. as a binary or gender as a spectrum makes no sense to me. Because if I think gender is the organization of social goods, and those social goods are going to be predicated on what's available to me, that doesn't lend itself very easily to a, a simple plotting on a, on a chart or something like that. Right. Because right? It, it, here's the thing. The social goods that are available to me, some of them might be great. Some of them might be entirely driven by consumeristic practices that are looking only to line the pockets of the wealthy more, yeah, right? The, the pink taxes, yeah, they say, right? Or, or, or like so much else, right? Yeah. So sometimes the gendered goods that are available to us are all kind of miserable, you know, and they're all kind of, but but they're what we have, you know, right. and we have to sort of like live and breathe in this world, not, not in an idealized world. And so it's it's a lot harder when, when, you were, when we're talking about gender in those terms to say, um, you know, boys are boys, girls are girls. It, 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 I do think that, but like it's, I wanna, I wanna, when that's that phrase is used as a simplistic and mm. quick answer, I don't, I think that doesn't do very much good. It tends to only obscure things because I wanna, I wanna ask like, what are the social goods that a boy organizes in his life and attaches to himself through his loves? Some of those things are going to be fine. Some of those things are going to be terrible, and some of those right. things are pretty good. And it will depend on the boy, right? Because coffee for me might be good, but coffee for you might be bad, right? Right. In the same way, like gendered clothing might be good for you know. Yeah. And so that that's not a, a sort of relativism about gendered goods. I want to make that perfectly clear but it is a way of saying um that 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 you know this binary versus spectrum debate is to me just feels like another way to get quick answers and i I don't i I want to get like as concrete as possible i want to have like boots on the ground like tell me you know you're trying to raise kids 
what are what are the the things that you, when you walk down, you know, the store at the store and you're buying clothes or food or whatever for your kids, what are those things? Let's 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 get really granular about those yeah. things. Let's look at like, you know, why we take certain food to be distinctly masculine, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. or certain food to be feminine, you know, steak for men or something like that, right? Like right, you think yeah. of that as an example, or, yeah. or the practices of dieting, you mm. know, for women and things yeah. like that. We can talk about how that 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 shows up in terms of like eating disorders and things like that and that 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 gets us into these really concrete practices that either are conducive to the flourishing of God's creatures or are destroying God's creatures in ways that are really harmful and so you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I want to live there. I want to talk about those kinds of things. I don't want to like, if all, if all I know is that gender is a spectrum or that gender is a binary, I don't really know how to buy clothes at the store. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really help. Yeah. I guess like the, the difficulty, I think what you're saying is, is in the application. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is, that is the, yeah. cause I feel like you kind of flesh out like very, um, eloquently in this book about all like sort of maybe the descriptive yeah but yeah. like like I don't know it's a little bit it is more tricky to be to be very like all men are yeah. like this because like that that doesn't really yeah. hold travel the world yeah and, it, and, yeah and even like you think about time so like your point was mm -hmm. like you know a thousand years ago, what did that mean? It yeah. might look radically different for an Egyptian yeah. than for me. Or just read the Bible for a little bit, you know, yeah. and, and you'll find out that, like, Israelite women didn't shave their legs. Yeah. And Israelite men didn't play football or whatever. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, you know. So, and I I, um, I think there's also a, a piece to this that I find um, inspiring in a way because I think by allowing more nuance mm -hmm. to a discussion that wants to be really binary yeah. like I do think there's yeah. like an element or or I feel like in Christianity wants to be binary I mm -hmm. wouldn't say the greater worlds has as much of a there maybe. is yeah, but maybe. I think now there's been more of a shift mm -hmm. like the fluidity of gender mm -hmm. is very much common language in the general it's funny that I'm sorry I interrupted you yeah like marketers would, would disagree I think no okay like you can make a lot of money by making really clear mm. gender distinctions that just look at Disney princesses. Okay, yeah. You, you know, That's like true. They, My daughter does love Disney princesses. Right, and, and some Scottish guy in like 2004 or something like that came up with the idea of saying, <clears throat> let's market Disney princesses to only girls and make them all pink. And, yeah. and that's and then he made Disney like billions of dollars. Right. So sometimes, you know, really clear cut gender distinctions are motivated by greed. Right. And that's, you know, I know so anyway. like girl, like razors for women are more yeah. expensive than men. Things like this. Yeah, you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm just going to buy the men's razor. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's the difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. clothing. Like yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. There, you definitely you definitely see that. Yeah. Um, Why do we need two piece swimsuits for two year olds, you know? It's, and I actually, I thought that the point that you were talking about earlier about sort of having um, women, like children, kind of a little bit more, mm -hmm. I want to say neutral or less specific, is actually probably healthy because I do feel like, I don't know if you've ever seen, I've never really watched it, but when I was younger, this is dating me, TLC would have like <laughs> oh, the yeah. oh, toddlers yeah. and tiaras oh, kind of, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. you're like, yeah. why is this two-year-old dressed like yeah. she's 17? Like, yeah. I don't, what's, yeah. like, it's just a bit, yeah. it's very odd and it kind of like made me really cringy for many yeah. reasons. Yeah. But the, I did feel like there was a sexualization of children that was like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is too much. Yeah. And a and hundred years ago, it would have been the polar opposite. 
you know, which I is I feel so... like we can go back there. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can, if that's our, uh, it should as ought, or ought, is this the way as yeah. you sort of go through it? Like we can be like, should that be? No, that's yeah. going to be my definitive yeah, answer. I mean, <laughs> if you want like really concretely, we, when we buy clothes, so I have a four year old daughter, yeah. you know, and we we buy clothes from the girls section but sometimes when the girls section stinks yeah. we're gonna go we'll go to the boys section I got yeah. a dinosaur t-shirt the other day and it's a sweet dinosaur t-shirt and she loves it and yeah. you know who cares yeah. uh, like does it doesn't it doesn't have to be like this radical altering of her identity it's just a, like a, a minor subversive practice that, that says like I don't like the terms that the world has been set up, Yeah, you know, and I don't think God likes them either. And so like, let's have you ever, uh, this is a little departing uh, comment, but have you ever read Dorothy Sayers essay about yeah, 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 where she talks yeah. about this, where like there's an element of uh, humans, like women are not considered human. And, yeah. But she, she makes this really, I think, pungent point where she's just like the, the fact of um, women are always viewed uh, a certain way but mm -hmm. then and and she's like but there's a like what we share in common is actually mm -hmm. with men is actually like we're both human mm -hmm. like the like humanity mm -hmm. of us is something mm -hmm. that is actually so like there's no one else mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the world in existence even mm -hmm. if we like you know take the possible worlds analogy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. is like that's yeah. going to be a similar in this yeah. sense like yeah, yeah sure so it's some element it's like mm -hmm. i never really I, i've always struggled with that too it's like you're a man and you want this thing and, and a woman also wants this thing how is that mm -hmm. so radical like it just is like well we're very similar yeah the odds that we might want similar yeah. things yeah yeah pretty high actually yeah yeah and that's the thing is like the people who would want to resist that are the people who want to sort of make bank off of making these distinctions you know like yeah so yeah it, it's it's kind of weird it, it, it's yeah and you see a, a slight change nowadays where um big corporations want to instead of rigidly gender coding things they want to say like no let's make this more equal and even i'm suspicious even then i'm like you just want to line your pockets one way or another and yeah. so it's like you know, don't don't think that like Starbucks is going to be leading the way on like robust Christian theologies of gender. You know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I guess like, would you have any like, as we sort of like end this? Is there any sort of like closing statement you'd like to make that you kind of want to leave us with? Oh, sorry. I feel no, like I just. Yeah. We've talked about so many good things. <laughs> no, I mean, see gender as, like. Sometimes we're just so invested in seeing gender as distinct from any other part of our discipleship. And I think that's a mistake. Like so many of the things we've been talking about today have been attempt my attempts to say, hey, no, like Christians have always thought about this in this kind of way. Let's just think about gender that way, too. Like, let's remember that we are destined for resurrection let's remember that um we are both embodied and social and like in other parts of our lives we know that you know and but we tend to forget it when it comes to gender because it's this like radically like i just want to fight people over it but no like it, i think as long as we see it as this robust component of our christian identity it's one of the many identities that we bear that all come together in christ like if we have if we operate under those convictions we're gonna be okay you know and it's not it doesn't have to be as scary or belligerent or anything like that so that's that's you know don't don't take off your your theological hat keep it on keep wearing it and 
it will be okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and uh, speaking me. with us today. This was lovely. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening in today with uh, our interesting guest, Dr. Duvale. Um, yeah. And tune back in next time for more interesting discussions and uh, dialogue. Thank you so much for watching.